Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Today, we're going to be talking to Bradley Moss, who we've had on recently. But the yep. reason we have him on is because I want to know the answer to the question everybody's thinking of right now. Is Donald Trump going to prison? Yeah, that seems like pretty important to get to the bottom of right now. And this is, for those of you who don't remember, he's a lawyer, and his area of expertise is literally these kind of like classified documents cases. So there is no one better to dig into the details of what was in this indictment, how serious it is, how he would advise Trump if he was Trump's lawyer, and how this is all going to unfold, what the timeline looks like. There's like a million things we can get into with him. And I'm going to debate him. Whatever position he takes, yeah. I can argue the opposite effectively because I'm split 50-50 on this completely. On whether Trump's going to go to prison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I can argue whatever the opposite side is. So I'm looking forward to that. But before we get into that, we have uh, plenty of stuff to dive into and talk about. Indeed. Um, so first things first, Crystal, you saw Cornell West announced he's running for president, third party ticket. Yep. He originally announced he's running with the People's Party. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a giant backlash uh, about that from, like, left-wing allies. Right. And the argument from many left-wingers was like, look, this is not a serious organization. They've existed since about 2017, which means they've been around, I don't know, you do the math. How many years is that? Six years. Six years. And they've never won a single seat at the local level, at the state level, in the House of Representatives, in the Senate. They just have no track record of success. There's a bunch of sketchiness around the organization. The guy who's at the top is a guy by the name of Nick Frana, and there was accusations of uh, sexual harassment, mm -hmm. and there was also allegations of him basically doing a coup of leadership so right. that he could maintain control. There were questions as to whether or not it's even registered as a political party at all. Like, real, real, you know, dark stuff going on there. But well, I think the more important point is yeah, they don't have ballot access. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, like, like, putting all of that aside, and however you feel about Nick Branner or whatever— they like, don't have ballot access. Right. So you're basically launching a glorified write-in campaign, which is going to be inherently limited in the impact it can have. And honestly, to keep it real, it'd be kind of embarrassing because you wouldn't even get 1% of the vote. Right. Right. So um, it looks like Cornell West, having heard the backlash, right. saw the reaction. Right. I don't think he expected it at all. I don't think he knew about the details of what went down with the People's Party. So then he comes out and he says a couple days ago, you know what? I hear you, and I'm adjusting course. He spoke to Chris Hedges. Chris Hedges set up a meeting between him and the Green Party, mm -hmm. and he announced that he's basically going to run for the nomination of the Green Party. Yeah. Now, he sort of alluded to at one point, like, I'm, gonna, I'm basically trying to unify all left-wing third-party movements, but then there's other things that I've seen from him which indicate that, like, he's actually just leaving the People's Party completely. It's a little up in the air as to whether he's still associated with them, but the People's Party is sort of salty over it a little bit. I saw some posts that they made, and they were a little, like, you know, they felt, like, butthurt over the fact that was Cornell of, was, like... There's a lot you know, of coping going on. Yeah, they're like, oh, we did the work to do the launch, and now, you know, now he, he gave into the smears or whatever they said. Some weird, like, innuendo about his family, too? I don't know. Yeah, I guess his fa Cornell's family was telling him, like, don't, you know, don't, don't trust do these people. Mm -hmm. Go. So, anyway, Cornell has now decided he's going to run uh, with the Green Party. Now, of course, the massive upside to that is they have ballot access in at least 48 states right so in so far as you could say any third party is like a legitimate this is as legitimate as it gets it's the yeah. green party and the libertarians are the ones who have ballot access yep so you know my perspective and i'm curious what your perspective is i mean just the plain face reading of it is like it's good that he listened and it's good that he's trying to do something a little more legitimate yeah, I totally agree and listen i mean i've laid out before how i think that tactically it is probably more effective to run inside of a Democratic primary. But now you got both. You got candidates running against 
Joe Biden in the Democratic primary. You got Marion Williamson to his left there. And you have um, Cornell West, Dr. West, running against him in the general election, assuming he gets the Green Party nomination, which I think we all expect that he will. And there's also a lot of signs that the White House realizes that a third party effort can be a real problem for them. And that's important because that's what gives you power to push a candidate to, you know, at least commit to something that, you know, followers of Cornell on the West, uh, on the left would want to see him do. We've seen this pivot from Joe Biden, especially in recent months, ever since Ron Klain uh, left the White House as chief of staff, where he has moved really rapidly to the right. I mean, not that Biden was great at the beginning of the administration, but he was doing a few things that was like, all right, Joe, I see you there. That's at least a, a reasonable attempt. But ever since, effectively, when Ron Klain leaves and you have them crushing the railroad strike, we, you have them engaging in this ridiculous nonsense with regard to the debt ceiling and just completely bending over for Republicans, ever since then, they have clearly felt that the pressure is coming for them to move to the center, quote unquote, move to the right, and that that's going to be their path to electoral victory. And they don't feel like they have to pay attention to or even pay lip service to le the left or progressives at all whatsoever. So the hope is that an effort like Dr. West's, an effort like Marion Williamson's will force his hand to take positions and, and be slightly better than what he was. I mean, with regard to the Democratic primary, we're about to talk about this in a minute. You know, it's outsider shot, but you have some chance of actually succeeding. You know, I continue to think just because of the structural dynamics in um, U.S. politics that a third party run for the presidency doesn't have a chance of succeeding at actually winning the presidency. But can you shape the terms of debate? Can you make a splash, especially when you have someone who is as talented, forceful, and well-known as Cornell West? Absolutely. Yeah, so as I always say when we have this conversation, you cannot put the cart before the horse when it comes to third parties. You have to get rid of first-past-the-post voting, and you have to get ranked-choice voting in order for any third-party effort from anywhere on the political spectrum to be legitimate. Right. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. The chances of him winning are literally 0% unless and until you get rid of first-past-the-post voting and you get ranked choice voting. Yeah. So, and I, I guess I, I get frustrated in this conversation because people deny the most blatantly obvious facts of the right. matter, and that is a fact. Right. So what I would say is they should put all of their effort into doing those things first. Because then if you do that, people like me all of a sudden become the biggest third-party simps in the country. Right. Like, I'll be a damn near a spokesperson for the Green Party if you have ranked choice voting and, and you know that, you know, you can put the Green Party first, the Democrats second, so on and so forth, you know, because you have to grapple with this fact that even if you think the spoiler effect isn't real, there is the perception among many people that it is real. Yeah. And that's enough to scare them away from ever pull, you know, pulling the lever for somebody who's in a third party. Yeah. I mean, and listen, the reason I say the White House seems to be attuned to the threat of a third party to their ambitions is they just had this big meeting at the White House because they're worried about no labels, which is this like terrible corporate effort yep. that mm -hmm. they're trying to get ballot access in a bunch of states. They're trying to put forward like a Joe Manchin type candidate. I mean, these are people who think that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are not pro-corporate and pro-Wall Street enough. They want someone who's just like going to directly do their bidding and never say a word against them at every turn, like a Jamie Dimon or a Joe Manchin or whatever. And so they've been launching this effort. The White House just had this big like panicked meeting with all of these former senators and Bill Kristol was there and the Lincoln Project and all the quote unquote anti-Trump coalition because their view 
their theory of the case electorally is we don't actually have to do anything. We don't actually have to appeal to anyone. We don't actually have to deliver anything materially for the American people. All we need to do is point to Trump and say he's terrible and unite the quote unquote anti-Trump coalition and we'll be able to squeak across the finish line the way that we did in 2020. And so even though No Labels has no popular support, their agenda is like abhorrent to the entire American public, if they even get a little bit in Georgia or a little bit in Michigan, a little bit in Arizona, then that's a real threat to them. It's funny to me, though, that when it's the corporate third party effort, the White House is all super responsive and let's have the meeting and let's talk about this and let's negotiate. When it comes to a left third party effort, you know, they're just they just pretend it doesn't exist. Oh, and I'm sure they're going they go about further. Exactly. They they're alienate, they isolate, smear, they smear, they hate, they go further away Putin from you. Puppet, you're a fascist enabler, all of that stuff is coming. And so, you know, everybody just has to be ready for that. And if you if you aren't in a position to actually threaten Joe Biden's election um, prospects, then you don't actually have any power in this dynamic. So you have to embrace that role of being a threat to his path back to the White House and force him to respond in a way. So uh, we should be clear when you say that, like, you know, the third party is a real threat or the people in the White House perceive a third party as a real threat. The reason you're saying that is because they can get between one percent and four percent of the vote mm -hmm. and effectively turn the election over to the yeah. Republicans. And I do that's think what they fear. Right. And I do think it's true that um, like if you had a corporate like Liz Cheney, Joe Manchin type candidate who ran, I think they would take more out of Biden than they would take out of Trump. That's I probably mean, Trump's true. people are really solid behind him. Right. You're just you're not going to eat into the like 46 percent of the public is is with them. And that's like it's like 30 percent. That's like okay. what it is. Right. And so the the challenge for the, the Democrats is they have to keep everybody else in line. And the minute that you give them any alternatives because they haven't done the work to actually like deliver for the American people and make it so people actually affirmatively want to reelect Joe Biden, then any sort of other alternative becomes an existential threat for them because they feel that it will come more out of their side where you have softer support for Joe Biden than you have for Donald Trump. I will say I like what Cornell West did here, but I really hope that they put all their effort into getting rid of first past the post voting and getting ranked choice voting first, because me personally, I sort of have grown to despise this. I'm going to run not to win the thing. Protest vote. I think it is deal. the biggest cuck shit on the planet to be like, I'm going to run, but it's actually not. I'm not trying to win. I'm just trying to like get a message out there or whatever. It's like. At, le at least if he was running within the Democratic Party, you'd be like, no, he thinks he has a chance. He's going to go for it. And even the, the numbers would reflect that. You know, Marion Williamson's at around 8% in the polls. RFK is at around 16% in the polls. Like, since they're run, just by virtue of the fact that they jumped in, in the realm where there's already the most infrastructure, gives them a real chance, right? So I, I'm not a fan of this uh, running not to win thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I hope that they can actually get movement on getting rid of first past the post voting, because then it, it would be great. It would feel great to, to vote for him and realize that they can't even make even a half true argument of like, oh, you know, it's a spoiler effect. You're turning it over to a Republican. And yeah. then let me get to my final point on this. And I'm curious what your thoughts on it are. Um, I would advocate for somebody in a swing state. I have no problem or excuse me, somebody in a safe state. Mm -hmm. No problem whatsoever voting for Cornell West. I'll probably vote for Cornell West because it'll be, you know, a vote in New York. Right. Right. But if I was in a swing state, I would struggle with that decision. I really would. Well, baby, you live in Virginia now, so. 
True, but I'm, still, but I'm still registered <laughs> in New York, and I might strategically stay registered in New York so that I can you don't, have an you don't easier want, decision. You don't want your vote to have an impact? Well, I don't, because I view it as a true moral conundrum. Yeah. Right? When, I know. when your vote I, I actually matters. To be honest with you, I haven't, I haven't worked this out yet, because on the one hand, like, obviously, I like Cornell West a million times more than I like Joe Biden. Like, just on the on the face of it, we're more aligned politically. I think he's such a really honorable and courageous person. Like, I think this man is honestly like a national hero and truth teller. Um, but he's not going to win. And not he doesn't win. have a chance to win. And I view Trump as a way bigger threat than Joe Biden Well, for a million and me, one reasons. To me, the most compelling case is the one that actually Michael Brooks was making last time around, which is that, listen, for no other reason to have the NLRB be moderately, you know, uh, moderately inclined towards working people or at least like not screwing working people in all of their decisions. It's worth voting for the Democrat for that. It's hard for me to get around that logic because I'll go further than you in a second, because, you, I mean, to me, the most hopeful thing that's happening in America right now is the labor movement. It's not anything that's happening in electoral politics. God knows it's this burgeoning labor movement, which has a lot of energy behind it, which has the highest support um, that, you know, we've seen in our lifetimes that's happened almost historically in terms of, you know, Americans not only supporting unions, but wanting to be part of unions. Part of that has really been enabled by Joe Biden's NLRB. And if it was Trump in there and they had all these anti-worker, like union busting assholes stacked on the National Labor Relations Board, it would have been much more difficult sledding, especially it's really clear at Starbucks, like some early decisions went their way that have been really critical, but it's it's been the case across the board. So it's hard for me as someone who puts, you know, labor really at the center of my politics to look past that when I'm making this decision. People made it sound like I was this insane purist in the last election because yeah. I said I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. But people need to listen to my actual arguments because the point I made was if I was convinced Joe Biden is going to do even one or two of the things that I value deeply when it comes to policy, I would vote for him. Yeah, that's the argument I made. And I wasn't convinced he would do it. But you know what? Now he's been president for quite a while. And now I know for sure he passed that purity test. Mm. Right. And so just to give everybody an idea, these are things that Joe Biden did that Trump in no world would do. Mm -hmm. Pulled out of Afghanistan. Trump made a lot of noise about it, didn't actually follow through on it. He actually followed through and stood up to the media in the process. Yep. Cut those $1,400 stimulus checks. You could say Trump cut some stim stimulus checks too, but it was $600. Joe Biden did $1,400. Yes, they said we're going to do $2,000, but ultimately they settled on $1,400. I'll give him half credit for that because at least people got something. And by the way, his approval rating shot up to 52% when he did that because people were like, oh, I like it when you materially help me. Yeah. So I'm going to give him some credit for that. He overrode the Supreme Court and allowed the Environmental Protection Agency, to keep regulating greenhouse gases. People don't realize that we were on the precipice of utter disaster because the Supreme Court said the Environmental Protection Agency is no longer allowed to do environmental protection. Right. And Joe Biden was like, eh, think again. They, they slipped it into, the, it in. into mm -hmm. the IRA and said, we're going to go ahead and override you and make it so that... Shockingly competent. It was like an FDR type. It was one of the <laughs> most base like, things. Who are these people? One yeah. of the most base things they've done. He did project labor agreements, which raises the pay for 200,000 construction workers. He did a $15 minimum wage for all federal contractors and federal employees. That's a raise for 400,000 workers. Yeah. He did gun reform, even though it was mild. He, we got some red flag laws. We got a waiting period for people if they're below a certain age and they want to buy a gun. Again, you could say it's not nearly enough, but it's way better than anything the Republicans are in favor of. They're in favor of going in the wrong direction. Yeah. We got the George Floyd executive, executive order, which created a registry of abusive cops. Like you said, there's the NLRB, which has done some good pro-union work, and this burgeoning labor movement never would have happened under Donald Trump. We know 
because it didn't. Right. We got the PACT Act, which was health care for toxic burn pit victims. This is something that the Republicans voted against the first time. They voted against health care for toxic burn pit victims. You cannot hit me with, oh, they're both equally bad. You can't tell me that. Right. That is not true. I don't buy it. There was a time in the past where I may have made an argument like that. But based on all the evidence that's happened over the past two years, that argument is bogus. That argument is fallacious. I don't buy it. It's not accurate. As part of the Inflation Reduction Act, we got a 15% corporate minimum tax rate. Yeah. 15% corporate minimum. I mean, you're talking about there was negative tax rates that these corporations were paying. They would get a net subsidy from taxpayers. And you know who loved that? Donald Trump. His tax cut bill cut taxes for corporations even more and incentivized them to outsource their jobs, which, by the way, there were net outsourcing under Trump, and there's not under Joe Biden. They're net bringing jobs back. He nearly eliminated the drone war. He did billions of dollars for green technology. Trump tried to overturn Obamacare and take health care away from people while Biden expanded it by $64 billion. He didn't do a public option. He didn't do Medicare for all. I criticize him for that. Those things are bad. He should go a lot further, but don't tell me they're equal. I know for sure one is a way, way lesser evil, and that's another reason why I find it a very complex conversation because... When you talk about voting in a swing state, right, it's like, do I go for the person who I know can win, who, and and I'm preventing, like, literally a fascist takeover at this point. I mean, the guy tried to overturn the last election, right? That's nothing to take lightly. Right. Do you do that, or do you vote for the person who basically is like me? Like, he just agrees with me on almost everything, on, like, 90, 95% of things. I know he leads with morality and ethics and courage, which is why I say, if I'm not in a swing state, if if I'm in a safe state, I'd vote for the person which is a protest vote. But if my vote actually mattered, that is a way more complicated conversation. And if anything, I lean more towards I'm an, I'd suck it up. Well, let me make, make let me make the argument on the other side, which is that— I, well, I made them all. I'm so familiar with them. I know, but— Go ahead, just for the audience. represent it, yeah. right? The, the argument on the other side is if it's, if it's always just going to come down to like, all right, fine, I guess I'm going to vote for the freaking Democrat, even though you crush the rail workers, right? Even though you wouldn't do minimum wage, even though like, you, you know, stupid debt ceiling deal that was terrible. And even though really in the last, you know, part of his administration, he's just been genuinely terrible. I, almost everything you mentioned was in the first part of his administration. Ever since Ron Klain left, there has been a hard right turn that has truly sucked. And if you're still going to look at that and be like, I guess I got to vote for the Democrat, then you're never going to have any sort of power and they're just going to smear and dismiss the left like they always do. And so you have to be willing to actually pull the lever when it counts for a Cornell West or for a third party candidate in order for them to pay attention to your vote at all. Now, I'll tell you why for me, that argument, which I do find like I think has some intellectual appeal. The reason why for me that argument fails is because we tried it. We tried it in 2016. Now, you all might not agree that Jill Stein is a spoiler. I don't agree she was a spoiler. I think if they wanted to win, they should have done a better job appealing to voters and not be like, oh, my God, people had choices. This is so terrible. But they think Jill Stein was a spoiler. And it did not cause this like, oh, my God, let me let me listen to the left. Let me let me actually incorporate some progressive values or some like, you know, leftist principles into my governance or some leftist people into my government. No, what it led to is lefties being crushed, smeared, dismissed as like Russian assets, et cetera. It led to more of a sort of hardening of their um, views against the left. And uh, so I just it's I the just opposite think we of what tried it and it claim. didn't work. Yes, it's yeah. the opposite <laughs> of what those people claim. Now, to be fair to them, they would say, well, you tried to take over the Democratic Party with Bernie and you didn't succeed. And that's true, but we got a hell of a lot closer to succeeding than your dumbass. There's no doubt about it. And again, when you have 
if as long as you have first past the post voting yeah. and ranked choice voting, there is no debate. There is no discussion. The path to power, whether or not you like it, the path to power is through the Democratic Party. Yeah, that's just the end of the conversation. I wish that wasn't the end of the conversation. Like I said, you get rid of those two things. I'm basically a cheerleader for the Green Party and various yeah. parties. Until you get rid of those things, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the just really, really dumb arguments on this front that used to appeal to me, but as time has gone by and I look at more evidence and I see the way reality has unfolded, it's like, well, you just that's to, not exactly accurate, man. You just have to be, uh, to me, on tactics, you have to be really open. Of course. Like, you try something, it doesn't work. Okay, you adjust. You do something different. You view things differently. And so that's just kind of how I view this whole the thing. The way to win is to win. Trump showed it in the Republican Party. Yeah. He overwhelmed the Republican establishment with so much support. Bernie didn't get to the point where he could have totally overwhelmed them on the Democratic side. But at some point, we will get to that to that place and we'll get there a hell of a lot quicker than if we're trying to build something from absolute scratch. So, like I said, if I'm voting in a safe state, I would cast my vote for Cornell West because I'd like to see them get to five percent, them get matching funds. Uh, but in a swing state, well, you know, even though I didn't vote for Biden in 2020, I probably would have would vote for him this time around if it comes down to him. But thankfully, we're st- still a race going on. Well, let's and talk about that. Marianne Williamson can win. Go let's ahead. talk yeah. about that because there's an Axios report. And this is something, by the way, we've had our finger on the pulse of for a while because this is clear from the beginning when Biden and the DNC overtly like rigged the primaries to try to shoehorn South Carolina first. Well, in New Hampshire in particular, their state constitution is like, no, we go first. And the state is not controlled by Democrats. So even if Democrats wanted to change the law with regard to when their primary goes, they don't even have the power to do it, nor do they want to do it. Because being first in the nation, whether it's Iowa or New Hampshire, confers a huge amount of visibility and political power on those states and on those, you know, Democratic and Republican legislators. And so they are loath to give that up. And they aren't giving it up. So Axios has this report their headline is Biden could lose first two 24 contests to RFK Jr., who's out polling Marianne at this point. I would say that he also could lose it to Marianne at this point. But it's all because um, Biden's team is indicating he's not even going to appear on the ballots in those states if they vote before South Carolina, which is his choice to have the first primary. So he's basically created this mess for himself. All because he performed really poorly in Iowa. He performed even worse in New Hampshire. He didn't start winning until he got to South Carolina. And so they wanted to make it so that he had the easiest coronation to, you know, path to the nomination as possible. So they tried to put South Carolina first, but they really didn't think through, all right, what happens if New Hampshire and if Iowa don't listen and they still go forward with these things? So obviously, Kyle, if Biden's not on the ballot and Marion or RFK Jr. wins, either one or both of those two states, the media is going to try to pretend like it doesn't matter, like this barely happened, like it didn't exist. But it's pretty hard to deny a real sense of weakness and frailty if your guy who's sitting in the White House loses the first two contests. The problem is, I think you need the media at that time to call balls and strikes and admit that whoever wins those contests has momentum and is yeah. serious. And they're not going to. And they're not going to. Yeah. Because they're just deeply, deeply dishonest. But I mean, if you look back to Obama's wins, didn't he win? Didn't he knock off what was it, Iowa? He may have knocked off Iowa, New Hampshire. Or he won one of the early states. Iowa. I think it was Iowa. And he then there was Iowa. this narrative that built like, maybe this is the guy. Yeah. This is an impressive win. Everybody thought it was going to be Hillary. It looks like it's not. Maybe it's not going to be Hillary. And they yeah. built this narrative and made it so that he built momentum. So, and you remember back to 2020 in the primary on the Democratic side, 
Joe Biden got those cheeks blown out in the early states. I mean, he was coming in like fifth. Yeah. Six. I think he lost. Didn't he lose to like Amy Klobuchar in New Hampshire? He got, it was bad. He got draxed, <laughs> bro. He got obliterated. And so I want to, you know, take this news as he's not even going to be on the ballot as like definitely great news, right? And, yeah. and it is good news, better than that not happening. Right. Right. But I mean, again, if the media is going to be dishonest about it, I really do think that they might successfully be able to put it as like, it's one off. Let me. It's a one off. So. I think you're probably right. but <laughs> I don't want to be right. Let me play devil's advocate here, which is that even in the years, certainly in the years since 2016, but even in the years since 2020, mainstream news is on a trajectory like this. And independent news has become more important. Um, you can see it in the numbers of the, the percentage of people who are getting their news from YouTube and um, from podcasts and other independent sources. And so, and you see, you know, the ratings on cable news are just going down and down and down, really dismal. I do think MSNBC has had a big bump from the whole Trump indictment situation, but they do decline in relevance every year, even among the Democratic base electorate. And so the fact that you have a Democratic base that, number one, doesn't really want Joe Biden to be the next nominee. Number two, really uh, affirmatively wants to have alternatives, wants to have debates. And then you find out like, oh, this guy's not even winning the first primaries. That may be hard for traditional media to really keep that, keep that in the bag, so to speak, and put that toothpaste back in the tube. There's the one I'm looking Yeah, for. I mean, I guess I, I just respectfully disagree because I do feel like mainstream media still has a stranglehold on the narrative. And even though new media is on the rise yeah. and old media is stagnating and or declining, they're still a much bigger cultural force than new media is. Especially, I mean, I'm looking at the ratings right now. Yeah. You know, you got Fox and Friends in the Morning gets 809,000 viewers. Oh, Fox? Fox will be covering it, I'm though. sorry. Wait a second. <laughs> That's uh, that's at the 6 a.m. hour. At the 7 a.m. hour, it shoots up to 1.1 million. Then it shoots up to 1.3 million. But again, Fox will be covering the shit out of this. I know, but it's it's for divide and conquer purposes. Right. The other outlets won't be doing it. And Fox is only preaching to the choir with Republicans. Yeah, but I'm just saying you're given the Fox numbers, which are the highest of all of them. And Fox will definitely be covering it. Yeah, but I I could give you the CNN numbers, which are also, I mean, middle of the day, 714,000. Um, during the Trump arrest, 1.5 million. I mean, that's that's a one-off because it's the Trump mm-hmm. arrest time. But you get the point, right? The point is they're still a force to be reckoned with. I think their numbers are less important than their cultural cachet. And I actually think they have more cultural cachet they do. than their numbers they do. reflect. I yeah. mean, like I said, I, I sort of agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I hope you're right. But... I, hope you're, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer here. I don't want to piss on everybody's parade. That's not the saying. Piss on everybody's parade is not the saying. It's rain on everybody's parade. I think people say the other one, piss too. on your parade. <laughs> I don't want to do that, but yeah, I'm, I fear that's the case. But look. Take a W where you get it, right? Let's say for argument's sake, Marianne wins the first two, you know, uh, contest. Yeah, there's the Marianne fans are going to start growing. There's going to be more of them. And we're going to be talking people about it. People will start going, oh, this is this could be real. Correct. Because you have had so many people who have just like had their hearts stomped on and really put themselves out there through two burning campaigns. And, you know, they feel gun shy about. I get it. I, get I it. totally get it. But get over it. <laughs> I'm bad. Come on, I'm bad. But if you did have, you know, if you did have her win an actual state and, you know, see that momentum build, like, you know, that could, things can change quickly. I hope That's so. What I'm Look, I hope you're right. Things can I hope change you're right. Quickly. Especially because Joe Biden's brain barely functions. Yes. And like, correct. the fact that they've basically convinced everybody that that's not the case 
is astonishing, to be honest. You know, it's like we live yeah. in the Twilight Zone and they have a total stranglehold on the narrative. And it's like, are you guys seeing what I'm seeing over here? Yeah. Are you seeing this? They are. Really? You don't want to vote? They for are the, seeing it, the actually. woman who, you know, is for universal health care and wants to raise everybody's wages and can talk nuanced foreign policy. And you're going to go for the guy who says lick the world, which isn't <laughs> even a thing. What are we talking about here? To the extent he says anything. I mean, they keep him hidden so much that it's like you barely hear from yeah, the guy. that's fact. Which is that's very fact. intentional. Anyway, um, let's talk about the other part of our politics, which is, which is totally dominating mainstream media, but for good reason at this point, which is Trump's uh, indictment. We've got Bradley Moss back on the show to break all of this down for us. So let's get to it. Bradley Moss, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Not a problem. All right, so I'm going to cut right to the chase here. I'm very curious what your answer to this is. I've been thinking about it nonstop, even though I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's staying in my head. Um, do you think Donald Trump is going to prison? At this point, given what we know just from this indictment alone, I would say the odds are certainly not in his favor. I think it's pretty decent chance he's going to be sentenced to some prison time. Of course, what that will look like is everybody's you know, just guess at this point, are they going to just build like a tiny little prison just for him and the secret service agents that stick with him? We don't know. There's no precedent for that. You can't exactly stick him in gen pop, uh, you know, over at the normal federal prison and you're not going to take down entire wings of a prison and sneak, you know, stick secret service there. So if this thing gets the trial and he gets convicted and it's since the prison time, we're going to have a whole new range of you know questions about how we set that up. So, uh, let me push back on that. Now, for the record, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because as sure. I've told Crystal and I've said on air as well, I'm actually pretty agnostic on this question. I'm, I'm torn 50-50 as to exactly what I think is going to happen. But just to play devil's advocate, um, we're dealing with a situation where he only needs one juror holdout in Southern Florida. There's no statutory minimum on any of the charges that were brought to him. The maximum gets over like 500 years, but there is no minimum, meaning the judge is not required to give him jail time. If he's convicted, the judge that's sentencing him would is a Trump appointee from 2020, and she apparently has a history of pro-Trump rulings in addition to massive pressure from a right-wing media ecosystem that's basically telling her she can't uh, you know, crack down on him. So given all those mitigating factors... Uh, how would you reply to that? I don't foresee even Judge Cannon saying, I'm just going to sentence you to probation after being convicted and all this. Mind you, there would be, of course, the prosecution's memo indicating what they think is appropriate. They would rely on the sentencing guidelines to outline what they believe should be imposed. There'd be a pretrial services report, any number of things along those lines to outline the nature of the aggravating nature of the offenses the criminal defendant, Mr. Trump's lack of remorse, which I'm sure he'll never show remorse about any of this. But there'll be mitigating factors, you know, mitigating factors. You know, yeah, his age, you know, he doesn't like to talk about his age, he doesn't like to talk about Joe Biden's, but his age will be a factor. The lack of any prior criminal convictions, at least at that, like at this point, who knows what happens in Manhattan. But at the moment, he's never previously been convicted of a crime, you know, and the political factors in terms of the idea of actually putting in prison a former president um, and a chief political rival of the current administration. Those will all play in to the assessment. But I don't see even Judge Cannon. I don't see even Supreme Court Justice Thomas saying, if you're convicted of this, you get no prison time. It would fly in the face of all past sentencing precedents 
for everyone convicted on espionage act charges especially this amount of them it would be a huge political issue and i just don't see it occurring and what about that possibility of getting that one they only have to get one hard pro-trump juror to be sat um who just doesn't care what the facts are is going to say not guilty no matter what unmovable um, there's some reporting that that at least part of Trump's legal team, that's kind of their strategy is to try to get that person on the jury. Um, what about that possibility, especially since they made the choice to have the venue in South Florida instead of um, in D.C., where it's a more, you know, solidly it's actually the most Democratic locale in the entire country. Yeah. Well, so first of all, let's get something straight. They brought in South Florida because if they had brought this in D.C., there would have been an immediate uh, motion to change venue, saying that the facts underlying the uh, indictment, the obstructive acts, the retention of the documents itself, all that occurred at Mar-a-Lago and in South Florida, it didn't occur in D.C., therefore that's not the proper venue. So this was a calculated risk by the Smith team to bring it in South Florida. But let's also consider something else. While we all are, you know, stuck in our little, you know, tribal corners right now, and everybody is all hyper focused on this. In the end, as far as I view it, most Americans are pretty decent, and most Americans who sit on juries take it very seriously. You had, if you remember back to the Paul Manafort prosecution, there was a diehard Trumper on that jury. She said she loved Donald Trump, would vote for him again, but when presented with the facts with Paul Manafort, had to convict. You had the D.C. jury in these two seditious conspiracy cases against the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. This is not a Trump-friendly area in D.C., and yet they found not guilty some of those individuals on the seditious conspiracy charges. Why? They took their jobs seriously. You had the men, uh, the New York case, the uh, E. Jean Carroll civil liability case. There was a diehard Tim Pool fan, listens to the Tim Pool's podcast all the time, on that jury, they still found Donald Trump liable for defamation and sexual assault in the civil action. So is there always that possibility, you know, you can't, you know, plan out for every variable that there will be a hung jury because one juror will just refuse to agree with the rest on a guilty verdict? Sure, that's possible. And then there could be a retrial. But that's the risk you take with any prosecution. And you can't try to plan for every possibility. At some point, if there's a prosecution being brought, you let the, you know you roll the dice and see what happens. So the feds have a 99.6% conviction rate. And when I read that fact, I thought, oh, is this as open and shut as it appears based on reading that fact? What's your take on that? Is that some sort of indication that like they don't even bring a case unless they really feel like they can get your ass? So, yeah, so part of it is the extensive, you know, pre, you know, diligence work that uh, prosecutors go through before they ever bring the case. You know, this is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to push back on the initial investigators, make sure they have sufficient evidence, make sure it can get through pretrial motions and suppression motions and discovery fights and that the witnesses will hold up um, on cross-examination at a trial. Part of it is also the nature of what criminal defendants do to get themselves in trouble, which is what Donald Trump here did. It's his own conduct and his own words that are the reason he's in trouble here. It's not because there was some great you know, informant or surveillance that the federal government was able to do. They got him on tape. You know, They got him through witnesses who were there, who were his own staffers, his own lawyers talking about what he did. So it's a pretty clear case on the facts and the law particularly for an Espionage Act case, that if this were anybody else, I would say, yeah, this is open and shut. 
there are the unknown unknowns because it's Donald Trump and he's a former president. There's going to be this issue of prosecutorial misconduct. They're going to fight about selective prosecution. They're going to mm -hmm. try to fight back on constitutional and statutory issues with his ability to declassify in the Presidential Records Act. Those are the we don't know what will happen pretrial motions issues. But if this gets to trial and the government's case is intact, the only hope Trump has left is a hung jury because there's nothing else he's got. He can't really dispute the facts. It's all about these pretrial fights he's going to try. Interesting. And clearly, I mean, Trump is much more focused on making the political case than he is about making the legal case. And in a sense, that's his other best bet is that he they're able to drag this thing out long enough so that he's not in prison before the election, that he wins and he's able to, you know, give himself the get out of jail free card, literally. And then, you know, basically gets a pass for everything. Is it possible that the timeline extends that long? Um, give us some sense of what this is going to look like. Sure. So it's certainly possible and plausible that this does not make it the trial before the 2024 election. So usually you would say about maybe, you know, eight months to a year to get to trial for something like this, even with pretrial motions. Now, Trump being Trump, if he loses any of these pretrial motions, or if the government loses any of them, there could be immediate appeals that could delay things out a little bit. He will do, as you noted, everything he can to delay the start of the trial. Even if it gets to trial, and even if he's convicted, he's not likely to be taken into custody that day. There's going right. to be the, I said, the sentencing report and all that stuff. So he could get convicted, say, in late summer, early fall of 2024, but not hit sentencing until December or January, at which point he may be the president-elect and he, they could basically decide to drop the whole thing because, hey, he's about to become president again. He's going he's gonna to pardon himself or do whatever he wants once he takes the oath of office and there's nothing more to handle with that case. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I expect it can get to trial before the election. I don't know if he can get sentenced before the election. And is this where the judge also makes a big difference here? Is the, does the judge have a lot of control over that timeline? Yes, district court judges have enormous power and control over how they handle their courtroom, how they uh, oversee trials before them. And it's not just those big, you know, massive pretrial issues that we discussed. It can be in the course of you know, the trial itself, or it can be in the course of, you know, jury selection, that there's a lot of things that a judge can do that aren't immediately appealable and that can, can undermine the government's case on any number of issues. I don't take the sort of hyperbolic concerned approach that some have taken with Judge Cannon, at least mm. not yet. I know what she did last fall. I was one of the ones very publicly attacking her rulings. Right. But it was also a different situation. There was no indictment yet. This was an unprecedented search warrant of a former president's uh, personal residence. And I think she got a little over her skis there and got appropriately and very, you know, seriously reversed by the 11th Circuit, including by other Trump appointees who said, you had no business getting into any of this. I think that may have been a learning point for her. We'll see how the government goes about sort of educating her on the Espionage Act and the Classified Information Procedures Act as they go through this trial. But we'll see what she does, and I'll give her the benefit of the doubt until she gives me a reason not to. Are the is the biggest piece of evidence, the biggest strike against Trump, does it really boil down to those audio tapes where he's effectively admitting repeatedly that he's committing crimes in the sense that he says, I don't have the authority to declassify these things anymore. And he's like, you want to see them? <laughs> so 
Yeah. Is that the biggest piece of evidence that is really like the, the heart of the case? In terms of what we know so far, and I have a feeling there's a lot more to the prosecution's case that we haven't seen yet because they don't have to outline everything in the indictment. But in terms of demonstrating his intent, the <laughs> willfulness of the retention and that he knew it was national defense information, that is a critical part of the government's factual foundation. I expect we'll hear a lot from various witnesses, staffers around him who testified before the grand jury and will be brought back as fact witnesses about the extent to which he knew this information was still classified. And even if it wasn't, it was still national defense information. You'll hear testimony from the former lawyers at the White House who told him about it when they were saying, you have to turn this stuff over. We'll hear about it from Evan Corcoran, who was forced under judicial order to testify about his interactions with Mr. Trump in the context of the crime fraud exception. Those are all different parts of the case. There's no one piece that I look at in terms of if we don't, if the government doesn't have this, their case falls apart against Mr. Trump. Mm -hmm. But that is certainly, without a doubt, those audio tapes are really bad for him because it shows in his own words, not a retelling by somebody else, but in his own words, him saying, by the way, this is still classified. You can't see it. I can't declassify it. But I've still got it. Right. And, right. And I'm going to share it with you. And, and talk a little bit. I saw the uh, a right wing reaction to this involved them saying, like, look, it's unprecedented that the attorney client privilege is being breached like this. And they're saying it's happening in this case. Now, my understanding was that there is one exception to attorney client privilege. And it's basically if you're planning on committing a crime. And so Correct. that's the reaction I've heard to the right wingers who point out that, you know, you're violating attorney client privilege. Am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, you are, you are by and large correct. There's actually more than one exception, but this is the most common one that you will see in the context of prosecutions. You cannot, you know, a client cannot come to me and coordinate and plan a future crime and then claim privilege in terms of what they said to me. That is That can be pierced by judicial order. That's not something brand new. That's been there for decades. There are prisons are filled with people who tried to conspire with their lawyers, and some of the lawyers themselves have gone to jail. You can discuss anything you want with your lawyer about past crimes. You cannot coordinate with your lawyer regarding future crimes. If you mm -hmm. do so, you sacrifice the privilege. So they can whine and moan all they want about this. And I'm sure the Trump team is going to raise this again in pretrial motions, trying to get that order reversed and try to get the testimony thrown out. But that is standard case law that you can't use your attorney in that way. And the fact that Donald Trump didn't understand that or didn't care to just speaks poorly of the man because he should have known that already. And any competent lawyer would have told him that. Uh, so, Brad, let's say that you decide to go for the glory to become Donald Trump's lawyer yep. in this affair. And, you know, you apparently don't care about getting paid or not because he doesn't pay his bills. <laughs> he and doesn't pay his You don't care about any future reputation going forward. You just want to be on the camera. You want to help him, help the big guy there. Um, what advice at this point, given where we are, not what would you have told him to do different, than, but given where we are, what do you think is his absolute best course of action in order to try to avoid prison time? Stop talking about <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I'm a good lawyer now. <laughs> exactly. Stop talking. I mean, of course, I have a feeling his lawyers have said that to him a hundred times. Christopher Kyes is a very competent, very well-credentialed lawyer. Evan Corcoran was a well-credentialed lawyer. Those guys knew what they were doing. There's right. no way... 
they ever told him, sure, go ahead and start running your mouth on the CNN town hall about this. Go ahead and say this speech of Ben Minster and talk and confess about how you took the documents. There's no way that was their guidance. But they know they have a client who won't listen to them and is going to do whatever he wants. Because as far as Donald Trump is concerned at this point, this is just my view, he knows that if this gets to trial, he's going to get convicted and go to jail in some form. He's not running to be president anymore. He's running to stay out of prison. Because if he gets elected president, he can throw out the federal charges and the two state cases, the one in New York, which probably would only be probation anyways, yeah. and the one in Fulton County, even if it makes it to conviction, he could raise all kinds of obstacles to them putting him in jail. And I'm sure that basically Georgia would say, we'll hold off on imprisoning you until after your term is over, more mm. or less, because you can't have the president sitting in a jail in Fulton County. Uh, just from practical purposes, it just wouldn't make sense. His goal is to get to the presidency and get the federal charges dropped. That's but I mean, is he wrong about that? Right? I mean, is he actually pursuing the correct strategy? Because it's, it, it, yeah, are it's, there it's, it's are there holes? Strategy. Yeah, I mean, are there holes in the government's case that they could exploit? Is there a reasonable defense that he could mount, given what we even what we know about the evidence, which, as you said, they probably have more that we don't know? You know, is there a legal path to him getting out of this, or is there only a political path to him getting out of this? There's a far stronger political path than a legal one. He has some decent, you know, pretrial arguments that his team should trot out that I expect them to do so. They are gonna they're gonna want to fight over the Evan Corcoran information. That's fine. That's totally legitimate to do. They're gonna argue about prosecutorial misconduct in the grand jury room. Yeah, Evan, um, what was it? Tim Parlatori was on CNN and MSNBC, sort of previewing what he expects the team will do. Those are legitimate questions to ask. I have no problem them raising that in pretrial motions and getting a proper airing. That's what a criminal defendant should do. Mm -hmm. But those arguments are at best sort of like Hail Marys. They're mm. decent. They're legitimate. They deserve to be brought. They deserve to hold the government's feet to the fire like any criminal defendant. But I don't see them as strong enough to really succeed, even with a very favorable uh, Trump judge. I just don't see it getting that far, especially on appeal to the 11th Circuit. It's simply not going to happen. So they don't realistically believe they can beat this thing in the courts. Their best hope, and, sorry, and by they, I mean really Donald Trump himself, is what we just discussed. It's, he's got to get to the presidency. It's a great political move to save yourself is if the public elects me, that means the public does not care about this in the end, that they believe I should be president again, notwithstanding these charges. That's how the Constitution is set up. The Constitution doesn't say you can't be president because you are currently convicted of a crime. There's no such limitation. You could theoretically serve from jail. That's the way this system was set up in terms of electing a president. And if that's what the public wants to do, I think it'd be a horrible decision, but that's what the public chooses to do. Is there any way they could speed up the timeline to guarantee that it gets finished before the election? Or is that just out of the question? So South Florida has what's called the rocket docket, which means it usually does move rather quickly and it's supposed to, and it's not supposed to get dragged out. That's part of also the reason they didn't bring it in DC in addition to venue. DC is 
backlogged like crazy. They are just overwhelmed with January 6th cases. Mm -hmm. They're still trying to dig themselves out of it. And so it would be very likely that there would have been delays on that front. So yes, they will seek a speedy trial. They are prepared, presumably, to fork over discovery as quickly as possible to the Trump team. They'll fight over the classified discovery, which we fully expect. That's why the Classified Information Procedures Act exists. Been there for 40 years. Congress set up specifically for cases like this. And there'll be some negotiations and they'll have the classified disclosures in that context. But the, uh, sorry, but the DOJ's effort here is going to cer certainly be get this thing to trial as quick as you can, partially because in, not just for the legal purposes, but think of it in, you know, in terms of exonerating Donald Trump. If he is found not guilty before the election, that would be something you would think he would want. Because that would be him saying, look, I was never guilty of this in the first place. I just won at trial. So you would think you would want to have a final resolution of this before the election and use that as a talking point in your final weeks and months of, before the election. Yeah, if he thought he had a reasonable path to being <laughs> yeah. exonerated, which I don't, think he, <laughs> I don't think he thinks that. Um, I've seen some people float like maybe there's like a deal that could be struck where Trump agrees to withdraw from the presidential race and the DOJ drops the charges. I'd take that deal. Is, I mean, is that just, is that a fantasy? Like, what do you make of that? Because I, it also strikes me as like not entirely appropriate to have a political solution to what is ultimately a legal problem. Wrong. But what do you, what do you make of that, Brad? It would be completely inappropriate and generally not enforceable um, in terms of somehow getting him to drop out of the race and therefore will drop these charges. Now, if you want to strike a plea deal, fine, but it's going to be a standard plea deal, which there's no way he'll ever do. And it would just feed the idea that this was a weaponized prosecution if DOJ agreed to that kind of deal of, oh, we'll drop this charge, this charges if you drop out of the race. No, the law is supposed to be the law, and it's supposed to be handled independent of the political considerations. Now, we live in the real world. We understand politics is going to seep into everything. But in a case like this with a former president, you want to try to keep it you know, to this, buy the book as much as you can. And therefore it's, you want a plea deal? We'll go by the standard procedures, but we're not making some plea deal that allows you to just not face any charges if you drop out of the race. Absolutely not. So let me push back on that because Crystal and I have had this discussion before. I mean, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm no expert and you are, but I see judges all the time cut deals where people get to do community service or do this thing or do that thing. So effectively you're talking about, you know, like non-legal avenues in dealing with a legal problem, I'd point out the law by its very nature is political. We, we could all act like it's not and try to separate it out between there's the political and the legal. But I think everything's inherently political, which is why I think the Supreme Court, for example, is a very political body, even though they like to pretend they're above politics and they're just calling balls and strikes. And then the final point I make is who cares how it looks? I don't care if everybody on the right is like, see, this was a political prosecution. If his ass can't get back in the White House, I think that's punishment enough. I think he'd be tortured in his own mind. I think that would haunt him until his dying day because the only thing he cares about is power. And he just basically cut off his own avenue to get that power. So that would be, like I said, it's a great political solution if the White House, for example, wanted to intervene. If the political players that be in government wanted to say, this is the deal you will offer. It is not something I expect Jack Smith is remotely considering. You want to strike a plea deal? That's <laughs> fine. We'll make a sentence recommendation. But it's not an appropriate thing for the Justice Department to offer a political solution to a criminal problem. So you could have, for example, Biden go to Trump and say, you drop out. 
I'll pardon you for it, you know, as one example, or I'll, because you can do that even in advance of someone's conviction, can't you? Sort of like pre-pardon someone for something you might ultimately get convicted for. Absolutely. So that would be a theoretical possibility, but I think it's, I think it's probably pretty unlikely to happen no. because- what? He's not going to do that. He's definitely not going to do that. He's going to do that. Um, yeah, and I mean, I do think it gives, it would give credence to exactly what, I mean, they, in their view, the only reason they're going after Donald Trump is because they don't want him back in the White House. And so if you're like, you know, floating that kind of deal, that just bolsters their case of like, this is just political and there's no, there's no there there otherwise. Not to mention, again, it'd be totally unenforceable. So what if Biden offered that pardon? He said, all right, I'll pardon you tomorrow. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And Trump said, that's cool. Thanks. I'm still running. I'm still you know, running. Yeah. Or like, pay, write me in. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'd be funny if Biden promised him and then Trump dropped out. And then he was like, I'm not, I'm not going to actually follow through on that. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> like a person. Game of Thrones power move, like Tywin Lannister or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. None of, it, none of this yeah, is real world, though. Like, but by the way, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I, just, I have to push back. I keep thinking like. The legal is political and, and the political is legal. So I just, I don't see the same distinction. Like, for example, when they went after Hillary Clinton, was that political? Yeah, yes, it was. But it's also, it was, they were correct legally, in my opinion, to go after her. So it's like, what's the difference? And I feel the same way about Trump. It's both legal and it's political. I think he's guilty. I think he did the things. But it is also a political calculation to go after somebody who's the former president of the United States. You know what I mean? So I don't see as big of a distinction as you guys do there. Yeah. No, absolutely. And let's also remember something else. Even if Biden were to pardon the guy for all the federal charges, he's facing some serious charges coming out of Fulton County. Mm. We fully expect, you know, Fannie Willis is going to indict him out there. That could put him in jail for several years. And, you know, uh, the governor Kemp out there has no interest in pardoning him. They're yep. political enemies right now. Sure. So even if he gets out of the federal charges, he's still facing sitting in some kind of jail in Georgia at this point. So he's got no interest in striking some kind of deal along those lines, except for something that encompasses both state and federal charges. Mm. And Biden has no power over the state stuff. So let me ask you this. So my understanding, this seems to be the general consensus. I don't know if it's true or not, but this is what I hear everybody say, is that they have more evidence that they, they haven't released. There's more stuff that they have that they haven't released. So if that's the case, I mean, the only thing I could, you know, surmise from that is, do they have him showing this stuff for money or showing this stuff to foreign nationals? Because I see the 37 crimes they listed. That's a beefy list. So I'm thinking if you got more than what you're showing me here, maybe they do have him on, you know, paying, you know, somebody paying him to see the documents or something like that. What's your read on that? So I don't necessarily assume that they've got some evidence of him being paid to show documents or to sell documents, because that would have been a different charge. They could have brought a oh, separate okay. Espionage Act charge for dissemination. They didn't do that. They could have, but they didn't, which I was always skeptical that this was ever going to be anything other than willful retention. Mm -hmm. My expectation for all these people that were subpoenaed and interviewed and to testify before the grand jury is that we are going to get the most boring set of day-by-day -day recounting of exactly what he knew about the documents, exactly what he was told by lawyers, by policy advisors and staff, exactly what everybody witnessed in terms of where the documents were. It's everything about what they witnessed in terms of what him and Walt Nauta were doing and everybody who witnessed, such as Evan Corcoran, the efforts to obstruct afterwards. That's what I expect this very clear-cut case to be about. If there is anything about dissemination, it'll be similar, most likely, to what we heard about in the audio tapes in terms of the fact that he was aware that he had them 
and he was aware he could not share them with other people. Um, so let's say that Trump does not win the uh, election. He is not president again. And they get all the way through this trial and he's found guilty on all of these counts and they get to sentencing. What would be in line with, you know, previous, not that there is really a previous similar yeah. case, but what would you expect generally the sentencing would actually look like? So given the various mitigating factors, some of which we discussed earlier, his age, the lack of prior convictions, um, strong ties, community, all that kind of nonsense that you would always hear about that you would expect a good defense lawyer to mention. My guess, you know, thinking of the sentencing guidelines, I'd say somewhere anywhere between seven to 15 years, more or less the remainder of his, you know, really functioning years. The man is yeah. 77 years old. Wow. He's probably got a good five, 10 years left before he really starts to hit that wall where he's not able to just keep up with it anymore. It would be the remainder of what would be his, you know, viable, productive life. Um, and that's before we get to the January 6th charges that we're all expecting will come down sometime later this summer for conspiracy to defraud. If he gets convicted here, and if he gets convicted either in Georgia or on the uh, other federal charges, he won't see the outside of a prison for the rest wow. of his life. That's so wild. Wow. That wild so about. let me ask you this. Another one of the arguments that people make on the right is, well, you know, whatever, because Biden has classified documents or had classified documents. Pence had classified documents. And there's basically this attempt to say, you know, it's a wash. I mean, they all do it. It is what it is. My reaction to that has always been, number one, the degree of classification is different. You're not talking about the top, top level of classification when you're dealing with Pence and Biden. You are when you're talking about Trump. And then beyond that, it's about cooperation and how obstinate he was in this process where Pence and Biden were like, hey, man, go ahead. Got nothing to hide. I'll cooperate 100 percent. Whereas Trump was the polar opposite of that, where he stonewalled, blocked, lied, moved the boxes, so on and so forth. Are those the is, is that the difference? Am I correct in that breakdown? Yeah, the, the obstruction is key and it can't be emphasized enough. And there was just a piece on uh, in the post last night about this and the various opportunities, the off ramps that he had to avoid a prosecution. <laughs> If he had cooperated properly, whether it was when the National Archives first came to him, even after the subpoena, if he had done it properly, this never would have reached an indictment. It didn't matter how sensitive the documents were. If he had said, my bad, I'm sorry, we messed up. Here's what you're asking for and had not played games. The Justice Department would have said, we don't prosecute cases like this. It would have been a one or two day process story on the politics of it. And that would have been the end of it. Donald Trump is in this position because Donald Trump was Donald Trump. He couldn't play by the rules. He had to jerk Nara around. He had to jerk the Justice Department around. You know, we know with Pence, it appeared to have been an inadvertent thing. He turned everything over. They cleared him, as I thought they should have. There's the special counsel looking into Biden. I have no problem with that. By all means, do whatever you need to do. Investigate what occurred. So far, there appears to be no indication of obstruction. If there is, ultimately, that raises a separate you know, political issue because the Justice Department doesn't indict a sitting president, as Donald Trump mm -hmm. always reminded us. But that would be potential grounds for impeachment. But that's a political question. The special counsel can't reach that conclusion, as Robert Mueller always told us, said, this is not for me to decide. So, no, are they, is it a wash? No, and it doesn't matter how long Joe Biden had the records. It doesn't matter what the sensitivity was. They never should have been there in the first place. 
But the Justice Department does not prosecute inadvertent mishandling unless there's evidence of intent or obstruction. That's the policy. Is it true that the Justice Department doesn't prosecute inadvertent handling, though, when it comes to ordinary citizens? I've read that. I'm sure you probably saw, too, Jonathan Chait making the case that actually Trump got a lot of special um, uh, protections and special treatment. Um, far from him being like persecuted and this a witch hunt and they're just out to get me, they actually gave him way more leniency than if ordinary person accidentally or, you know, retained classified documents. Or I think Chait talked about someone who was doing a classified thesis and during the pandemic had to like took some of the documents home to work on the thesis, didn't show them to anyone, returned them. And that person was was prosecuted. So, whoa, is there is there really this hard line of there has to be intent to, you know, conceal or willfully retain the documents in order for them to go after a regular person who was not president or former president of the United States? I'd have to see what Jonathan Chait's referring to, because as far as I know, and I'm not going to say I have the universal exhaustive knowledge, but as far as I know, they've never brought Espionage Act charges against someone absent either intent or obstruction. You think um, there was an NSA contractor, a guy named Harold Martin that was prosecuted during the Trump era properly because he had been hoarding documents at his house for 20 something years. He'd been working at NSA. He never showed it to anybody. He just thought it was cool to have at his house, Mm. but he had shown the intent to willfully retain them and not return them where they were supposed to go. He went to jail. He's sitting there right now, probably for a good 15, 20 years before he'll ever get out if he's still alive by then. So- that was, this was the same thing with, you know, when we got to the Hillary Clinton saga. Hillary Clinton was reckless with what she did with her email server. She dug her own political grave with that whole situation. But James Comey was right that it was not a situation that called for prosecution because there was no evidence of intent on her part to retain classified information on her server. They People had sent things in unclassified emails to her personal account, and there had been spillage into those emails. That never should have happened. That's why you're supposed to keep everything on government systems, and you're only supposed to discuss classified information on your classified emails, but there was no evidence of intent, and that's why they wouldn't bring a prosecution in that context. I actually disagree on Hillary. We don't need to get into that, but I thought when I saw the Comey press conference where he listed like the things that she did that were wrong. And then at the end basically didn't recommend charges. And I was like, I don't know, man, you just listed like a bunch of things that I think sound like real crime. So I I would have gone after her personally, but I'm no expert. But anyway, what I wanted to bring up, they could have, they could have. Yeah. It wasn't right. Right. So what I wanted to bring up was sort of like a best case scenario, worst case scenario in terms of how I view the situation with Trump. I still feel like worst case scenario, I think it's super sketchy that Jared Kushner got $2 billion from the Saudis. I think it's super sketchy. They also got millions from the Israeli government. Uh, you got Trump getting at least tens of millions, maybe over $100 million from the Saudi Arabian government for his live golf tour events. Um, I, I think we already know that uh, Mar-a-Lago is sort of like a hotbed of spies. There's been reporting on that. I mean, they've literally arrested uh, Chinese nationals there walking out with a bag full of electronics. Uh, seriously. <laughs> I know. So it, it's crazy. It's crazy. But in my mind, worst case scenario, which I acknowledge right now, there is not the evidence for it and we're not seeing it in the indictment. But I would say worst case scenario is he was maybe selling this stuff. Um, but even best case scenario for him is that he wanted to take this stuff because he thinks it's cool. He thinks it's like a memento. And he had it stuffed in his bathroom and in the ballroom and all all these different places all around Mar-a-Lago. And even in that situation, 
given the nature of the documents, that some of them were the most top secret and classified stuff you can imagine, where it was literally like nuclear secrets and vulnerabilities of the U.S. military and attack plans, etc. Either way, it's something that's like really, really bad, right? And, and is prosecutable. So do you agree with that analysis? Is like, is that the spectrum that we're talking about? And even if it wasn't the Espionage Act in particular, isn't that, wouldn't that still be illegal under various other laws to have like nuclear secrets that are just hanging out in your ballroom where some random schmuck can go look at them? So part of the problem here is because Donald Trump is the former constitutional officer, a lot of those other provisions you would think of for simple retention don't apply to him. So everybody during the Clinton saga was talking about uh, provision 18 USC 1924. That would apply to 99.9999% of clearance holders. It does not apply to constitutional officers. It doesn't apply to the president, vice president, members of the judiciary, and members of Congress. They are exempt from that particular provision. But they're not exempt from the Espionage Act. The Espionage Act doesn't have the caveats in it in terms of its application. It applies to anyone, which is why you only saw that in not that other provision that ordinarily would apply. That's what distinguishes um, what Donald Trump did and why they had to bring this particular type of case against him. So yes, people take classified documents all the time. By and large, the government doesn't prosecute any of it because they're generally content to simply go after their security clearances. That's usually where I come in. So that's usually where I'm coming in basically saying, all right, here's where they messed up. Let's, you know, here, let's see if we can salvage the situation. You know, we go through the administrative appeals process. Government never prosecutes any of it. And I've had people who accidentally walked off with, you know, stuff that's listed as SAP, you know, special access program information, because they were being stupid and they didn't look closely before they took their folder out of the skiff. You know, mm -hmm. the government doesn't prosecute those cases. They could. They don't want to deal with it because there's a lot of process that would come into play at trial in a criminal case that you don't have to deal with in the administrative case because there's no constitutional rights involved. So it's a very different kind of situation. The Jared Kushner stuff, I think it's sketchy as all can be. I have never trusted that little string bean more than I can throw him, <laughs> but I don't see anything that justice could look into. Well, let me yeah. interject for a second, because there was a report that came out. I don't know if it was New York Times or Washington Post, but it was one of the big boys. And they said there was like a direct correlation between the time when Mohammed bin Salman gave Jared Kushner, intervened to give Jared yeah. Kushner $2 billion from the Saudi funds. And he did a massive crackdown on, you know, his rivals within Saudi Arabia. Remember the report that I'm talking about? Yep. No. It was a big deal. And, you know, and the speculation was he's, literally just showing him classified information in return for these billions of dollars. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. But yeah, and, and if there is actual real evidence to indicate that the Kushner was sharing some kind of de classified details like that with MBS, that might be potentially relevant to look into. We'd also have to consider something else. Did Kushner do that on orders from Donald Trump while they were in the White House? If he was authorized to give MBS that information by, you know, Trump, there's nothing criminal with that. We share classified information with various foreign allies all wow. the time. It's done in very limited, narrow, specifically mm -hmm. tailored situations, but there's all kinds of information sharing, including with a close ally like Saudi Arabia, no matter what any of us might think of the uh, certain situation that happened just a few years ago with MBS, we still are tight allies with that country. There is information sharing of classified details. So you'd have to consider those different factors. Do I think Jared Kushner maybe cross the line? 
I don't know. I don't necessarily see enough detail of that yet. Is that something I'd like Congress to still look into more? I think that'd be incredibly appropriate, especially if we're going to obsess over who Hunter Biden drinks and parties with on a laptop. Yeah. Let me ask you, Brad, um, you mentioned a couple times this isn't even the last charges that Trump is likely to face. And you alluded to the the Fulton County um, <clears throat> grand jury there. What do you just preview what you expect to come out of Fulton County um, with regards to Trump indictments? Sure. So my expectation and, you know, all caveats, I'm not a Georgia lawyer. I don't know Georgia, you know, criminal law any better than what I can just read online. So, you know, full caveats on that front. I expect it's going to be basically the Georgia small RICO uh, provisions. It's going to be a racketeering case against Trump Mm -hmm. and numerous Trump allies for election interference and efforts to um, have false statements provided to officials and try to overturn the election. There's a number of different, uh, sorry, different criminal provisions in Georgia state law that can be relied upon. I believe Lawfare Blog has a great piece on it. Just Security, I think, also had a nice um, primer on it as well, outlining the specific state provisions. But from all indications, it appears Fannie Willis has, between witnesses and people she's flipped, all these different people who got immunity deals. She's got a nice factual foundation against the high-level players. So it's going to be Trump. It could potentially be Mark Meadows. It could potentially be Rudy Giuliani. Um, it could potentially be the senior uh, Georgia Republican officials. I think it was the chairman of the party. I can't remember for certain. Who were one of the f- uh, fake electors who would mm-hmm. be part of this larger conspiracy indictment. That'll be a very serious set of felony charges. That will not be a simple case to prosecute, but it would be very dangerous to the former president, particularly given its state charges. And there's no federal pardon power on that one. Yeah, there's also no ability to have any whataboutism with that. You know, Hillary Clinton didn't do anything like that. Joe Biden didn't do anything like that. So in that way, politically, it's more difficult. Their only whataboutism is they're referring back to Kennedy in the 1960s and, you know, the alternate elector scheme that was done there in in Hawaii because it got so close between Kennedy and Nixon. And this is what they're holding out as the comparison. I think there's very significant factual discrepancies or distinctions between the two. That's their best whataboutism. I I haven't even heard that one yet. So I'll look forward to that coming to the fore from our brothers and sisters on the right. Um, Bradley, thank you so much for taking the time to break all of this down for us. It's super useful. Um, I've got a much clearer understanding of where we're headed from here. So thank you so much. Yeah, that was great, man. Thank you. Anytime. All right. So that was Bradley Moss. Uh, Very interesting conversation. Yeah. So let me ask you, Mm -hmm. is Donald Trump going to prison? What's your take on it? Give me your honest answer. I think probably. My bigger question, like to me, when you look at the facts of the case, um, it's pretty clear. I mean, you literally have the guy on tape like, I'm committing crimes. So that's pretty open and shut. Is there some wild card chance you get some hardcore Trumper on the jury? I, I think Bradley is right, though. Once you're in that setting and you're sort of sequestered with your fellow jurors, people, and I've, I've been on a jury before, people tend to take it very seriously. And there's just no denying the facts of the case, okay? I also think it's unlikely that he wins election. Um, I think general election, to be clear, I think it's possibly wins the general election, but I don't think it's likely at this point. My biggest question mark is, you know, there's going to be all kinds of civility humpers who are out there like Biden should pardon him. It's the right thing. to what do. What about our no? It'll heal the day. Exactly. What about our decorum? Nixon, Ford, et cetera. Yeah, all that stuff. And I could very much see him bending to that 
push because that's how, I mean, it's very core to his self-conception and healing the country and bipartisanship and all this stuff. So um, that's kind of my bigger question. So I'm still 50-50 as to whether or not he's actually going to prison. I'm agnostic, but I'm going to play devil's advocate to your position okay. where you think he's going to end up there. We're just rehashing stuff we've talked about before, but it only takes one juror holdout in South Florida. Mm -hmm. South Florida is very politically diverse. They lean right. DeSantis won the mm -hmm. area. There's a mm -hmm. lot of Cubans there. Mm -hmm. You get one Cuban on that jury, and it's all of a sudden everything's up in the air, right? So you got all you need is one juror to object. There's no statutory minimum for any of the crimes. So the government could say, look, it's a former president. We don't want to tear the country apart, so we're not even going to try to get prison time, which, by the way, is not really unprecedented when you think about how Obama treated George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, and all the gaggle of criminals that were in that administration. Yeah. He said, oh, we look forwards, we don't look backwards. Even though these guys did torture, even though they did an illegal war, an offensive invasion, even though there was a laundry list of crimes. They were like, nah, what are you going to do, right? So that's another uh, aspect to it. Also, the, the judge really is pro-Trump, appointed by Trump in 2020, has a history of uh, pro-Trump decisions. I think the last time she did a pro-Trump decision, it got appealed to the 11th court, which is very... Uh, conservative, but they overturned what she did because they thought it was that absurd. Yeah. But again, that's sort of an indication that she's willing to make absurd decisions on behalf of Trump. Um, like, I don't know if I said this, but there is, uh, I did say, there's no statutory minimums on the right. case. So there's not, they're not, they don't have to give like, oh, you have to get five years or whatever. And just the fact of the matter is we're dealing with a former president. We're in uncharted waters. Right. And so I don't know, man, when I look at all that stuff, uh, again, I'm split 50-50, but I think the argument that he won't go to prison, because every other time everybody thinks they got him, his ass wiggles out of it. It's that old famous Here's, tweet, how's old Donnie going to wriggle his way out of this one? And he wriggles his way out I of it. Ah, well, nevertheless. I think the most compelling case you can make for Donald Trump avoiding prison time is just this is, this is the luckiest motherfucker on the planet. Oh, D luck, bro. Everything, every ball, even with the, like, you know, it was such a political assist to him that Biden is found with classified documents and Pence is found with classified documents. Like, it doesn't matter for the legal case, but for the political case he's trying to make, that was, uh, you know, that was a huge assist for him. Every ball just seems to bounce in his direction. You're and not wrong. I don't know why, but it just seems to be the case. So that's why I, you know, I don't feel confident in my prediction whatsoever about how well, this is all going to go down. Well, to back up your argument real quick, the fact that I cannot get out of my head about this is the feds have a 99.6% conviction rate. Yeah. Which is basically like, nah, we got a guarantee, if son. Is, if this we got a guarantee. Anybody else, oh, they're done. You're they're done. done. And by the way, to it's, address it's your over. point of Biden and Pence being found, with yeah. that, that's true. But for any right wingers who might be watching right now, the giant difference is, number one, the degree of classification of the documents. Trump had the top, top secret stuff. Pence and Biden did not have it. We're talking about literal nuclear secrets. We're talking about vulnerabilities of the U.S. military. We're talking about battle plans and attack plans. We're talking about stuff that should actually be classified. We're not talking about stuff that's part of the overclassification problem, which yeah. is a big problem. And also the bigger issue is that he was obstinate. He was lying. He was dodging. He was stonewalling. He was lying and moving the boxes. Pence and Biden just didn't do that. So this is a problem of Donald Trump's own making. So in other words, my point is, it's not really analogous. And to people who would bring up Hillary Clinton, my reaction to that would be like, I kind of agree with you. I think she should be in prison. I think she should have been charged. So, But it's funny, because all the people who bring up Hillary Clinton, they're not consistent. 
Right. Their they definitely is, thought her ass should be in prison. Let's go lock up Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And my response is always, I actually think there was enough to lock Hillary Clinton up, but definitely lock Donald Trump's ass up because he actually did worse than she did. So send them both to prison, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, the answer to a like, two-tier system of justice isn't just like, okay, well, let's just let everybody in the tier, you know, like... It is a step forward if any elite is being held accountable for their crimes. That is a step in the right direction. And yes, that should be more consistently applied. Fine to acknowledge that. No problem here whatsoever. If Joe Biden commits similar crimes, lock his ass up as well. I will not shed a single tear over that. Yeah. So anyway, to to come full circle and end the conversation real Mm -hmm. quick, I'm still 50-50, man. I'm still 50-50. I see very compelling arguments on both sides. If anything, I might lean slightly, like 52% in favor of, you're, you're going down. I don't know how. I don't know the specifics. I don't know what's going to happen, but you're going down. But none of this is going to be pretty, Crystal. Yeah. None of this is going to be pretty. We saw January 6th when he lost the 2020 election. What are our options on the menu right now? He wins the primary. He wins the general. We get four more years of Donald Trump. Terrible. Right. He wins the primary. He loses the general. He says he won the general anyway, and maybe we have another January 6th type thing, or he throws another tantrum or whatever. Yeah. Bad. He loses the primary. He'll just claim the primary was rigged. He'll and He'll, run run, the third he'll party. try to run third That's party. That's the best the, option. That is the best case scenario. I enjoy that option. <laughs> that is the best case scenario. Look, the other, the other potential scenario is he's an old man. He's a fat guy. Loves him some Big Macs. He might croak. But if he does, I guarantee you that all of his people will be like, this is another JFK. He was shot. Oh, they'll conspiracy act like theories it could be the most be obvious, like colossal heart amazing. attack ever. He has a stroke and there's all the evidence that they'd be like, no, he was there was they, a stroke gun. They, they used it on him. French fries. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. I will tell you when um, when Bradley was like, you know, he'd be looking at the the expectation would be he would basically spend the rest of his life in prison. That's wild to think about, isn't it? It is wild to think about. It's, it is wild to think about. That's the piece. That it's it's just hard. It, it's almost like a failure of imagination on my part. Like, I just can't imagine it. And that's part of why I'm sort of reticent in my predictions, because it's just, I just can't really imagine it. I mean, shit happens, man. And I will say this. I never bought into the argument of like, oh, it's a sign of a banana republic oh. or a third world country if you go after, if people go after their political opponents. And my reaction has always been, no, it's the opposite. You're more like a banana republic if you let your elites get away with crimes time and time and time again. Right. And the laundry list, because Marjorie Taylor Greene made this point the other day, and media had had an article on it, there's a laundry list of very, very civilized, very, very developed countries yeah. who sent their prime ministers or their presidents or some leaders that they had to jail right? because they did crimes. They, they committed were crimes. corrupt. That's and, the sign of a healthy country right. and society. Now, you can you go overboard. justice evenly across the board even when it's your elites that's absolutely correct now you can go overboard with it right if you start randomly locking up people who who are your political opposition that's a different question but we're not there right now they're not going after mitt romney right they're not going after they've treated republicans (laughs) trump with far more lenience than they would have treated in order he is benefiting from a two-tier system of justice yes in his favor he even went so far as like they he kind of forced their hand. I mean, if you're Jack Smith and you're investigating this, what are you going to do? If he handed it's over so willful stuff, and so blatant and so repeated and all the lie, all of it, you know. Imagine he handed over everything like that when they asked him. Never would have gotten this. Would have been they no way. sent him an apology letter. No way. Are you kidding me? It would have been nothing. It would have been a blip on the radar. Even if like the fourth time he was fine. All right, here it is. It, it would have been no problem. Whereas any right. ordinary person, forget about it. I think you're forget right. about it. 
All right, guys, that's the show. We love you all very much. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, do us a favor. Go on over to Substack. Become a subscriber of Crystal Kyle and Friends. If you pay $5 a month, you get the video of every interview, and you get it a day early. You also get our wonderful newsletters. Shout out to Piper for that. And everybody else, you could also sign up on Substack for free if you don't want to pay the $5 a month, and then you get the audio version of the podcast delivered right to your email inbox as soon as it drops. And that's all, man. Remember, we don't take a, a single penny from any advertiser at all. For this show, uh, we're kind of proud of that fact. It's very pure the way that we sort of set up the business model. So if you can support the show, please consider doing it. All right, guys, we love you all, and we'll talk to you next week. Everybody have a great rest of your day.